this morning after a little hiatus to permit the pastor to try to get his act together uh, we're going to return to uh, our study of Exodus this morning we come to one of the most familiar stories in the Bible the story of Moses encountering the burning bush in the wilderness some of us don't remember the first time we heard this story for others it may be new but what on earth is God trying to teach us here? That's the issue. So let's take a look. Exodus chapter 3, we'll look at the first nine verses. Though we'll read down to verse 10, but we're not going to talk about verse 10. When Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have, indeed, <coughs> I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. <clears throat> this morning I would like to just suggest two truths which I think the Lord intends for us to hear from this uh, incident of uh, the burning bush in the wilderness. And the first is this, that you cannot approach God in his holiness. You cannot approach God in his holiness. You know, holy doesn't, it's a word that doesn't mean much to us anymore. Everything is common and familiar. Nothing is off limits to us. After all, we have our rights of free access to whatever we want to see and do. And nothing seems to demand our reverence anymore. Things that used to leave people silent and awestruck, we just barge in laughing and joking and think nothing of it. Holiness has become absurd to us. It's a meaningless word. Think of how we hear it used. People say, holy cow. Holy cow. That's absurd. It's a contradiction. Or worse. But here God wants to reorder our thinking. He wants us to reflect a bit on his holiness and to understand that you cannot approach God 
in his holiness. That's what the Lord's showing us in this incident when Moses encounters the burning bush. You know the story. Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep. Probably not a very uh, exciting job. And he ends up, as they wander around the area, he ends up over by a place called Mount Horeb, which we learn later is the same place that is called Mount Sinai. That's why it's called the Mountain of God in our text. It was written later than the events actually happened. Everything is going along fine until Moses sees this bush that's burning. Now, that's not necessarily an unusual sight to see a little fire going somewhere out in the desert and a bush on fire, except that it just kept burning and burning and burning. And so Moses, out of simple curiosity, goes over to check it out. There must be some simple explanation to this. And suddenly as he begins to approach the bush, the bush starts talking to him. Moses! Moses! Uh, yes, here I am. And then he's told, stop where you are. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Moses is probably quite confused for a moment, except that God immediately identifies himself. I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God immediately begins to tell him of his concern for his captive people, Israel. Nonetheless, Moses is terrified. He hides his face. He can't look. can't approach God in his holiness. You see, Moses had probably not really encountered God before. He had undoubtedly heard of him when he was a little boy, being uh, raised by his mother as a little tiny tyke, but then he went over and grew up in Pharaoh's household. And perhaps as a young man, he learned more about Israel's God as he began to identify with his Hebrew people. But Moses had never really encountered God before. Therefore, Moses' response was just what ours would be. He was curious. This is an interesting sight. He wanted to look, see how it worked. But you see, God is not satisfied to be the object of our curiosity or of our investigation. He is the Holy One. Actually, this is the first time in the Bible that the word holy is used. Holy means separate, or set off, consecrated, distinct from everything else. So, especially it means set off in the sense of, of pure and free from sin. So God alone is holy. He is separate from all of his creation. Everything we know is part of the creation, except God is not. God exists quite apart from his creation. He existed before any of his creation. He's holy. And he's separate from the sin that permeates his creation. It may affect everything and everyone, but it does not affect God. He is pure. He's holy. And so because God is holy, any place he appears is holy. Because Moses is not holy, he can't come walking up to God. Indeed, he needs to humble himself and make himself vulnerable in God's presence. 
take off your shoes. Take off those things that protect you and, and, and that make you invincible. Take them off and be vulnerable. Stand humble before me. And stop dead in your tracks. You can't just come walking in here. Stop. This stopping at a distance and removing your shoes and standing barefoot and humbled is a recognition of God's holiness. I read this week of some ancient Jewish traditions which uh, began with this incident. In the temple in Jerusalem, back when it was still standing, I read that everyone had to be barefoot in the temple. And even today in the synagogue, when a priest pronounces the ironic blessing, you know the ironic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, you know that. When the priest pronounces the ironic blessing, he takes his shoes off. Because it's God's blessing. It's holy. Those traditions acknowledge we cannot approach the holy God like we are. When we encounter God, the God who truly is, he is majestic beyond all of our experience. He's holy. He's a consuming fire. He is mysterious beyond the comprehension of our minds, beyond our control. He's the righteous one who will shake the earth and light the sky with fire as he gives his law on this very mountain. He's the creator, controller of nature, who holds the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the blizzards in his hand. And his holiness stops us dead in our tracks. Take off your shoes. You can't come here. He's not interested in satisfying our curiosity. He is the Lord. Scripture is full of examples of people being awestruck by exposure to God's holiness. Isaiah in a vision saw the Lord and the angels of heaven crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. When Isaiah saw the vision of the Lord, he says, Woe is me, I'm ruined, for I'm unclean, and I've seen the Lord. Daniel saw only one of God's holy angels, and Daniel, the righteous man that he was, turned deathly pale, and fell flat on his face. When Peter realized it was the Lord Jesus that he had encountered, he fell to his knees and he says, Master, leave. I'm a sinner. I can't handle this holiness. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation describes his re reaction when he saw the risen Christ in all of his glory and his holiness. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You can't approach God in his holiness. Consequently, much of the Old Testament, much of the law was designed to simply teach people again and again and again about holiness. The concept of keeping things separate is everywhere as you read through the Old Testament. There's separate utensils for this food and that food. Don't, they should not be mixed. There's separate fields for this crop and that crop. You don't mix them. There's separate kinds of yarns for this garment and that garment. You don't mix them. There's separate days for rest and for labor. You don't mix them. There's separate duties for the priest and for other people. You don't mix them. Separateness is everywhere. 
For that concept of separateness is a lesson in holiness. God and the things of God are not like everything else, common. He is separate. He is holy. Oh, but God's people found holiness a hard lesson to remember years later through the prophet Ezekiel. God condemned what he saw in his land. We read in Ezekiel 22, Her priests do violence to my law, profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there's no difference between unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths, and so I am profaned among them. And isn't that what's happened today, largely? God is profaned. God has made common, even among his people. We've become accustomed to a tame God. We'll define what he's like. God is an idea to be discussed over a couple of beers. God is some personal spirit guide that gets me in touch with my inner self. Or God is the spirit of America that makes us feel like a people of destiny. No! God demands a completely different attitude. He says, do not treat my holy name as common and ordinary. I must be treated as holy. I am the Lord, he says. morning I would seek to readjust our thinking. God is not just like us, only a little bigger. He is absolutely other from you and me. Separate in all his ways. And unlike us, he's completely untainted by sin. He's holy and pure. Unapproachably pure. A consuming fire. You and I have no inherent right to even walk into his presence. For we're sinful. Moses was terrified with the little he knew. He was terrified when he realized he had encountered the living holy God. We ought to be terrified too. You cannot draw near to God in his holiness. I don't mean to sound hopeless. But the truth is, I, I say all of that because I have good news to tell you this morning, which brings us to our second point. The first point is you cannot draw near to God in his holiness, but the second point is God has drawn near to us to rescue us. God has drawn near to us to rescue us. You know, when destruction hits a community, some terrorist attack or some natural disaster, we expect that our leaders will show up and uh, assess the situation for themselves. But how that leader arrives speaks volumes long before he opens his mouth. Does he ride through the devastation in his limo, viewing people's grief in air-conditioned comfort? from behind tented windows? Or does he take off his coat and tie and walk through the rubble in the sweltering heat with the stench of death 
in the air, touching broken, hurting, ruined people. We tend to trust a leader more who stoops to our weakness in our time of trouble. And may I suggest that's what God always does. He stoops down and draws near to his people in trouble to rescue them. We see that beginning right here in Exodus 3. We cannot approach God, but he graciously decides to approach us. So considering what we've said about his holiness, how would we expect him to approach us? If he wants to reveal himself, what might we expect him to do? Perhaps he could make some cosmic display in the heavens that rival the the northern lights, and we could go, wow, God in his holiness. That would be appropriate. Or perhaps he could shake the earth and cause the mountains to explode and lightning to come as he did at Mount Sinai. And we would be awestruck and terrified and that would be appropriate. But that's not what we find here. Here God comes near in a burning thorn bush. A burning thorn bush in the desert. Now we're not told the significance of that. We can only wonder. On the one hand, it's such a common thing. A simple bush. Nothing spectacular except that it kept on burning. What what an apparent contradiction. God, the holy other, in a common burning bush. On the other hand, it may have been a very significant metaphor intended for us here. For God's presence in the midst of thorns and fire may be intended to point out his identification with his people in their suffering, in their thorns, in their fire. That's how the ancient Jewish commentary called the Exodus Raboth comes from about 1100 A.D. That's how they explain it. There we read, God said to Moses, Do you not realize that I live in trouble just as Israel lives in trouble? Know from the place whence I speak to you from a thorn bush that I am, as it were, a partner in their troubles. God stooped to a thorn bush to draw near to rescue his people. Oh, but that's not all we learn about his drawing near here. Here God tells us that actually he's been near all the time. For when he identifies himself, he says to Moses, I am the God of your father. Not the God of Pharaoh, who Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's household, but the God of your father, your father when you were a little tiny tyke, your real father. A father who had been ordered by Pharaoh to throw his baby son into the Nile. A father who in holy fear of God refused to obey that edict. And how could Moses' father have have remained faithful in such a time except that God was near him? 
But God had not shown himself near him. It seemed as if God was not near. It seemed as if God did not know him. God did not reveal his power to save. But he was there. He says to Moses, I am the God of your father. And now I've drawn near to rescue. Well, here God makes it clear that when he draws near, he draws near full of compassion and mercy for suffering people. Verse 7 says it so pointedly. I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their crying because of their oppressors. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come to rescue them. And the rest of the book is about God's great saving actions. The deliverance he announced here from the burning bush and the bringing of his people into the promised land. That's the story of the whole book of Exodus as God became the Savior of Israel. God drew near to announce his intention to save his people. <coughs> Folks, that was only a foretaste of what God really had in mind. Centuries later, God came near in a much more impressive way, something Israel would never have dreamed. God came near in the person of Jesus. Oh, once again, he came in the most common way, identifying with the humble. He came as a baby, born in a common family, born in a stable. Once again, he declared the reason for his coming. Call this baby's name Jesus. He's coming to save his people. And once again, he came to enter into our suffering. He suffered the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses that are common to all humanity. He suffered the worst violence and rejection which people ever do to each other. And worse yet, he suffered at the hatred and the rebellion which sinners directed God. He suffered all the way to crucifixion on a Roman cross. Jesus drew near to us with the same agenda displayed there in that burning bush. That's what the scriptures repeatedly explain. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In Jesus, God has come near to rescue us. This familiar story makes a profound point for us. For it addresses a profound question. And the question is this, how can the holiness of God and the mercy of God both be addressed? That's a great question. It's easy to say God is holy. But if God is holy, we are absolutely cut off from him for we're all sinners, we're hopeless. Or it's easy to say God is loving and compassionate. But how can he be? Will he sacrifice his own holiness and look the other way at our sin? If God will not allow Moses to walk up to a burning thorn bush, you think he'll reach down into the muck of our sinfulness? You see, that's the dilemma. And it's here in the burning bush. God the Holy One announcing 
Mercy. How can it be? But you see, the same holy God who came near to Moses announcing deliverance in a thorn bush is the God who has come near to save us in Jesus. In Jesus, the dilemma between God's holiness and his compassion finds a resolution. For as Jesus lives, on the, lives and dies on the cross, he satisfies the holiness of God, the justice of God. Sin is paid for, and God is satisfied. In order that the love of God might be extended to those who do not deserve it, without marring the holiness and justice of God. In Jesus, justice and mercy, holiness and sinful creatures meet and kiss. And so because of Jesus, we are privileged to do what no one could ever do draw near to God. To draw near to God. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, the symbolic presence of God, was ripped from top to bottom. Jesus opened the way into God's presence, removing us, rescuing us from the evil one who enslaved us, removing the sin that alienated us and made us unacceptable to God, and recreating us as righteous and clean, fit for fellowship with his Father. And therefore, in Jesus, we now dare to approach the unapproachable God. Oh, we do it with reverence, never forgetting he is holy. We approach with humility, realizing we have no right to be here. We come only because of the righteousness of someone else, the Lord Jesus. Nonetheless, we dare to come. We are invited to come. We're commanded to come, as we read in Hebrews 10. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. We could never approach God in his holiness. But in Jesus, God has drawn near to us to rescue us and bring us to himself. And as we'll see next time, our lives can never be the same. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for the gospel. Where the truths that we know about your justice, your holiness, and your purity, on the one hand, and your mercy, and your compassion, and your love on the other, come together in the person and work of Jesus. Oh, Father, Moses didn't understand all that. He saw the burning bush and realized it was you, the Holy One, and then heard words of mercy. But Lord, we understand. It's all played out. It's happened. May we not miss it, Lord. And may we not ignore it, 
but in Jesus draw near to you and know you. Take these truths and embed them deep in our souls so that we're never the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.